Good to see everybody. I want to share this morning um, about something that I think is so, uh, so important and so cool. And it has to do with what truth is. Um, it's kind of like, this morning I'm kind of like doing this. It's like, wouldn't you, if you were going fishing on this big lake, and if I knew where all the bass were, and you were going bass fishing, if I knew where all the bass were, wouldn't you want to know where that is? As opposed to fishing all over the lake all day and maybe finding that place where the bass are. That's kind of what I'm going to do this morning because there's a focus that we can have in our lives that will keep us from, as Paul says, beating the air and wearing ourselves out or just missing the, the main thing. Peter Lord used to say this. I'm sure Peter Lord still says this. I love Peter Lord. He's awesome. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> I love that. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So what I want to share this morning is what truth is. Because things can be true, but not the truth. See, the law is true. It's true that to steal is a sin. It's true that to covet is a sin. The law is true, but it's not the truth. The law leads to bondage. Truth sets us free. You see? So you can know things that are true and not really experience the true freedom and the true life that Jesus came to give. John said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. So I want to share some thoughts that will help us focus on where the bass are. Focus on where the fish are. To keep our minds on the main thing, the main thing, and keep the main thing, the main thing. So that we can receive a full dose from the Spirit of God of this awesome thing called the truth. Jesus said, if you keep following me, if you keep listening to what I'm saying, if you keep hearing what I'm saying, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free, will make us free. So there's a big distinction between what is true and the truth. Jesus told Pilate, Pilate said, well, first Jesus said to Pilate, he said, for this purpose, big statement before Pilate, for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Huge He's about to be crucified, and he's, he summarizes his whole life mission. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Then Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus did not answer him. So anyway, it's so important. It, it'll save you years of frustration. Years of frustration of, of uh, and I, I just saw Clark's, Message today, it's so cool how the Spirit does this over and over again. Good advice versus good news. That's so cool because it's so true that um, the Scripture is full of good advice. Full of true things. But there is one, there is a truth hidden in the Scripture that will set us free. Not that good advice is bad, but it's not really what it's all about. Jesus said it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and all shall be added to you. All these other things that you want advice on or answers for, whether it's a job, whether it's relationships, whether all these other things will be added if we focus on one thing, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Now, I believe that that call to believe or to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness is a call to the unbeliever. Because when you and I believed, we received his righteousness. You're not still seeking for it. Why do you still seek for that which you have, the scripture says? So that is a call to the unbeliever to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. You also have the kingdom of heaven within you. Paul says the kingdom is within you by the spirit of God. So for the believer, we don't continue to seek the kingdom and seek his righteousness. That's a call to the unbelievers as Jesus spoke that to the crowds who were listening to him. All you who are worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, all your life issues, all your worries about your life. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what about the believer? The believer now has his righteousness. The believer now has the kingdom or the realm of heaven within by the spirit, Paul says. For the kingdom of heaven is in the spirit, righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit within you. As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is not coming like men think, it shall be within you. You have that kingdom now in the spirit. You have the realm of God in you now. You now have his righteousness. So for the believer, it's not a matter of seeking. It's a matter of greater understanding of what we have. It's different. It's a different kind of thinking because you already have. Now we need to understand. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, he's praying to the, for the Ephesian church. I pray that the eyes of your heart, your new heart that you now have, a new heart that can receive from God, a heart that with no evil and no sin whatsoever, for, for God has brought the old through death and burial and resurrection and has created us anew in him with a new heart. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, this new heart that God has given you, may be opened. That you might know the height and width and breadth and depth of love, the love of God. You might know the hope of his calling, the inheritance that is in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power that he displayed when he raised Christ from the dead. All these things, Paul says, I pray that you really fully see these things. That's the, pro- the, the progressive nature of the Christian life, the renewal of the mind that we talk about. Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Many things to tell you, but you cannot receive them now. But, but when the Spirit comes, this was before his death and resurrection. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit will reveal all things to us. The Scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But, the next verse, but the Spirit has been given that we might know these things. As, as Clark has been doing this awesome series about how the Spirit has been given primarily to show us the things that are freely given to us in Christ. So, I just feel like sharing some thoughts about what is truth so that we can cal- calibrate the target, go to where the fish are, and focus on what God wants us to focus on. For all other things will be added to us. All other things. I'm a testimony in my own life. I can tell you that when you focus on what is truth, everything else is added. God answers prayers. God leads us. God gives us wisdom. God gives us direction. The truth makes us free. So let's, let's look at that for a few minutes and I pray that we would recalibrate ourselves to not be distracted by a thousand sermons on a thousand different topics 
and miss what Paul said. I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. See? It's awesome to see this laser, the laser of God on what is truth. So that it will grow in us and, and expound in us. So that we're not distracted by the, the wiles of the enemy. The Corinthian church was distracted from this focus on Christ himself. And this truth. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I, I fear like Eve, like Eve was de- uh, deceived and was moved from the simplicity of Christ. See, Paul said the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a distraction from the tree of life. So Paul is telling the Corinthian church, don't be distracted like Eve was distracted and seeking knowledge of right and wrong. The truth is not the absolutes of the, of the law. That's not the truth. Some preachers will say, this is the truth, that the law is absolute. That the Ten Commandments are absolute. That's the truth. That's not the truth. They're true, but it's not the truth. You see the difference? If the law causes bondage and the truth sets you free, then they're not the same thing. If we're to be dead to the law and alive to the Spirit of God in Christ, they're not the same thing. If the law is a letter of death, and the Spirit is the way to life, they're not the same thing. So though they are true, the laws are true, they are not the truth. And so many Christians are really confused about this. And they're not making the main thing the main thing. And so in, as a result, they, they talk a lot about things that are maybe, maybe true, but it's not that laser, that laser that sets people free. And opens up their eyes to another reality. For the kingdom of heaven is another reality. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you because the kingdom of heaven is truly a parallel universe that is in this world now in the spirit. And if you have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son by the gift of the spirit... You live in another world as you walk this earth as Jesus did. He was from above and not from below. We were from below, but when we believed, he said, you are no longer from below. You have now been born from above. You too are now from above, Jesus said. It's awesome. This, This is the truth that will set us free. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes. It's awesome. We are no longer from below, but from above. Lord, help us see these things. These are spiritual things that can only be spiritually discerned. Help us to receive this awesome reality, what the truth is and what the truth is not. You promised, Lord, that we would be patient and just follow you and listen to you and grow and that we, your sons and daughters, would see the truth brighter and brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And the truth would make us free. Lord, help us see what is behind all that is visible. For all that has been made, all that has been created, 
is but a picture, a photograph of the invisible reality of God. For we know that things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things which have been made by the photograph. But the photograph is not the real. The photograph is the shadow that was there until the real came. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the real. Open our eyes to see the truth that you came for to bear witness to that we might feed on the bread of the sons of God, the bread that is given to the sons and daughters of God, the real, the truth. Help us, Lord, to see this by your Spirit. Amen. I love that verse in John where where remember the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she was looking for water, and Jesus talked to her, and he saw her whole life she he knew her, the spirit gave her him revelation of who he was, who she was, and he looked at her and he probably realizing that. She was a rejected woman because she was in the middle of the day gathering water. And most of the women would gather water in the mornings together as a group. But she was by herself at noon. So she was probably an ostracized person that the other women didn't want to be with. And Jesus looked at her and he said, Give me some water to drink. And she was amazed that a Jew would ask a Samaritan woman for something to drink. And... And she did, and she goes, strange you would ask me because you're a Jew. And Jesus said, oh, woman, if you knew who I was, I would give you water to drink, and you would never thirst again. Boom. And she's like, and then she goes, oh, give me of this water. But I won't have to come back to the well all the time and get water. She was thinking the natural she was thinking in the pictures. She was thinking in the photographs. And Jesus said, Go call your husband. I want to tell both of you this. And he knew what he was doing. He knew all about her. He was trying to see, I think, if she'd be real with him. Because if you're not real with God about everything, then it's hard to receive truth. So you've got to be real with him about everything because he knows everything. And he doesn't condemn us. In fact, as we said Sundays ago, the whole world has been cleansed through Christ. And God says, call no man unholy, call no man uncleansed. I, I did it all. God has reconciled him, his, him, his whole self to the world. Now men must merely believe and receive. He's not going to do anything further. He sat down on the right hand of God. His sacrifice is for the whole world from the beginning of time to the end of time. He has done it. But... Men must be reconciled to God. God has already reconciled himself to men, but men must be reconciled to God. They must, he must receive what Jesus did. So Jesus looks at everybody as cleansed and holy. 
and blameless. That's why he could just move among the sinners and the Pharisees would be, drive them crazy. Like, how can you eat with these sinners? How can you let this woman touch you? How can you? Because he saw them all cleansed. And that's how we're to live. Everybody's forgiven. Everybody's already cleansed. They just need to only see it. It is true that if they don't believe before they die, they will die in their sins, Jesus said. But if they believe, they will not die in their sins. I love that where Jesus said to, he said, he said, if you say you see, then your sin remains. He was talking about the Pharisees who said they, they thought they saw, they had the law, they knew the truth. They had the law. Do you call us blind? He said, the Pharisees would say to Jesus, you think we're blind? And Jesus said, if you said you were blind, then you would have no sin. But if you say you see, your sin remains. Awesome statement. That, in that one statement, Jesus is saying that whether you have sin that remains or no sin is not a function of your obedience to commandments. It's not a function of your performance. But it's about what you see or don't see. Because, see, he would take away the sin of the world. If the Pharisee remains in that position of, I see, their sin remains. But if you say, I'm blind, teach me, Lord. I'm blind. I don't know how to be righteous. I don't know how to be good. I don't know. Jesus is basically saying, you have no sin or you will. But he's looking at the big picture. I think he's saying, you will have no sin because you'll see what I did. And you'll believe. Because through faith, sin is taken away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I love that because it's all about whether you see or don't see. Not whether you do or don't do. Isn't that awesome? And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's utter, utter extreme. Sin remains. No sin. Either you have your sin remaining. All your sins. Or you have no sin. Depending on what you, what you see. If you see and believe on Christ, you have no sin, Jesus said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So anyway, he's talking to this woman at the well, and he sees her this way. He sees her as already forgiven, already cleansed. But he asks her this question. He, goes, he says, actually just says, bring your husband. And I think he was trying to, to see if she'd be real with him. And she said, being very real, she said, well, actually... Uh, I don't have a husband right now. I've had five husbands, and the man I'm living with now is not my husband. Five divorces, and living with a man who's not her husband. And you would think Jesus would really come down on that kind of life. I mean, that's what most preachers do, right? Jesus says, you've well said. That is the truth. Well, actually, I said that wrong. She actually said to him, I don't have a husband. Then he said to her, I know, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He actually saw, he read her like a book. That's what really happened. And then that's, what, that's how she realized, oh, my God, you must be a prophet. How'd you know that? But the point of that story right there is that he's not looking at her performance, her track record, or how good she is. None of that. He said to her, if you knew who I was, it's not about you, Samaritan woman. It's not about your track record. It's not about your five divorces. It's not about you living with a man now. It's not the issue. The issue is if you knew who I was. And if you would ask of me, you would receive life 
water to drink that you would never thirst again. Well, she immediately goes into this question with him because she thinks, he must be a prophet. I've got a question that's been burning in my, my heart forever. I've I got to ask him this because we Samaritans worship in this mountain, but the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Look how free she was to ask him this question because she didn't feel any condemnation from him. And so she asked him the question and he said, truly, truly, the hour is coming and now is, woman. I love that. The hour is coming and now is. It's coming because he hadn't finished his work yet. He hasn't given his life yet as a sacrifice. He hasn't been raised from the dead yet. So in that sense, it's coming. But it now is because he's here. Because it now is in him. And he embodied the reality of God in heaven and all. But it was only in one man. Which is why it was important that he leave and accomplish his work so that reality could come in all of us who believe. So he says, truly, woman, I tell you that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, because she asked about worship. Should we worship in this mountain or that mountain? She was asking, asking about two places on earth. Two places on earth. Two photographs. Two pictures. And Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is, woman, that the true worshipers will neither worship in this mountain in Samaria nor in Jerusalem. For the Father seeketh worshipers, the Father seeketh such. Look at the heart of God. The Father seeketh such worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. The word truth in the Greek actually means the reality or the real. It means the real. As, as opposed to shadows, it is the real. As opposed to types, it is the real. As opposed to pictures, it is the substance. The real. So the Father seeks worshipers who will worship in the spirit and in the real. And the reason why he coupled those two, two things together, the spirit and the real, not like some preachers uh, teach, it just drives me crazy how some people interpret this verse to say, oh yeah, God, God, you know, God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. So yeah, we can have the gifts of the spirit and miracles and, and all these gifts of the spirit, but he also wants truth. He wants us to get in the word and, and learn the scriptures and, and study the law and be good people. And we have to have both the spiritual power and the truth of the word of God. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying that the shadows of these, of the temple in Jerusalem and even Samaria are all passing away, that God has come to do a new thing and to bring a new people into another reality through his death and resurrection by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Father seeketh such to worship him in the spirit and in the real. And the reason why he couples those two things together is because the real is only found in the spirit. The real is only found in the spirit, not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit, in, the, in this other reality. And the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is not... God has, takes no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats. He takes no pleasure in rituals that speak of Christ, yet we neglect Christ to do the ritual. God takes no pleasure in all of our doing when we forget that he did. You see, God seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth, in the real, because in, there, in that reality is rest. And in that reality, we honor God. We honor the sacrifice of the son when we rest, when we rest, when we believe and rest in that reality. And so he said to that woman, God seeketh such to worship in spirit and in truth, in another dimension. 
in this real, in this true. Okay. So what is the truth? Yes. Jesus said, and I'm a, I want to elaborate on that, but that's exactly right. Jesus said, when they asked where he was going, he said he was going to the Father after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He goes, I go to the Father. He goes, and now you know the way. You know, you know how to get where I'm going. And they said, how can we know the way? We, we don't really know, really, where you're going. We, we don't understand this. And then Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I don't show a way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So when Jesus said to Pilate, for this purpose I've come to bear witness to the truth, to the real. And he himself is the truth and the real. How does that truth make you free? That's the question because how does all this fit together? Well, Jesus is, the scripture says Jesus is the express image of God. To see him was to see the Father. Nothing was left out that we need to know. There's a lot more to God, but we don't need to know that. We will know that when we pass over and these bodies die. For, even, for then we will know all things even as we're known now. But now we know enough, all we need to know. The scripture says that the, the things that are revealed to us by God belong to us and to our children. But the things that are not revealed to us now belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29. That's, that means there's a lot, there a lot of stuff God has not revealed to us yet, which is awesome stuff. But we don't need to know it now. That's why we should not have vain speculations about what we think may be out there or what the future may hold or what God may be like or whatever if it's not in the scripture. The apostles warned about those going beyond what is written. Never go beyond what is written. Because you usually mess up. You know, vain speculation about what, what belongs to us, what's revealed to us, belongs to us and to our children. But what is not revealed to us belongs to the Lord. And that's the safest place to keep it. The enemy will use vain speculations to cause division and arguments and even doubt about the scripture itself. So, so what is the truth? To see Jesus was to see God himself. To see Jesus was to see God himself. The ultimate truth. God, creator, what he looks like, what he's like. And how does that truth make you and I free? It's this. That's why Paul said, I determined not to know anything but Jesus and him crucified. It's Jesus and his work. It's Jesus and what he did is the truth that sets you and I free. Because you cannot separate the incarnation and his death. They're almost one. For this purpose, the son came that he might die. So his incarnation, his, his taking on flesh and blood was for the purpose of offering up his body, Hebrews says. The incarnation of Christ, where we see God as he really is, and his death are really inseparable. Because his death reveals the very heart of God. The very mercy of God. The very goodness of God. So 
the Lord himself revealing to us who God is by, by him just simply saying, look at me. When you see me, you've seen the Father. And his work has done something so amazing that this is the truth that when we allow it to expand in our minds, sets us free. And it's written here. And we've talked about it many times, but I'm trying to focus on it this morning so that we will fish where the fish are. And this is what he did. He literally came to end the Adamic race. He blotted out all flesh of which Noah's Ark was a mere picture. A photograph of the real. Noah's Ark was a photograph of what the sun was going to do. The Ark itself was a picture of the Christ after the flesh would Judgment would come upon the whole earth. He would take upon himself the judgment of the world. He came to terminate the Adamic race, to end the human race. End it. Just as the, the flesh was blotted out in, the, in Noah's flood as a picture of what the Christ would do when he came. Because it was the real and not just a picture And because he was God in the flesh, and because he offered himself up by the eternal spirit, he was in time, yet outside of time. And because all things came from him and by him and through him, that when he died on earth as a man, all that that proceeded from him in the beginning was destroyed. A great mystery. That's why it's important, Paul says, that all things were made by him and for him. And through him, because when he dies as a man on earth, a great mystery takes place and all that proceeded from him is destroyed so that a new thing can begin. That's why the creation now groans for the manifestation of the sons of God, because the creation itself has all been cleansed. Scripture says he had to do this so that he might cleanse all things in heaven and on earth. The cleansing is already taking place in heaven and on earth. Why heaven? Because there was rebellion in heaven. A third of the angels were not loyal to him. And they still had access to the throne because there were angels. And God had not decreed a judgment yet on the angels. He held back and didn't decree a judgment until he could hit, have the children safe. Satan could go to the throne of God in the book of Job and accuse Job before God. He had access. He no longer has access. Judgment has come to the angels also. He has cleansed heaven and earth. You see that? You see, Satan cannot go to the throne and accuse you before God anymore. He has no access to the heavens. Revelation says, And I saw him cast down as the, the male child was taken up into the heavens, the Christ, that there was war in heaven, and Michael was, was dispatched to throw him down. And, this, and Lucifer came down, and he was kicked out of heaven. He was out of heaven. Jesus said, as he was going to the cross, I see Satan as lightning cast down from the heavens. God cleansed the heavens and the earth. He moved you from, to, from this realm, this kingdom of darkness, into his realm. Leaving this realm in judgment. And he cleansed the whole thing. You passed through the door because you believed. But the whole thing's been cleansed. The only thing that doesn't have redemption is the angel. Because he didn't take on the form of an angel, but the form of man. God seeks not to save angels, but the seed of Abraham, or those who believe. See? 
So the angels now are reserved in chains of darkness until the final time when they shall be judged and thrown to the lake of fire. They're reserved now in chains of darkness. But a cleansing, an awesome cleansing has taken place in heaven and on earth because of Christ. So what I'm saying is this. Christ in his work, his, Jesus and him crucified. God literally terminated the human race. All in Adam die. But the last Adam has come, the scripture says. And it's not the second Adam. Many people misquote that verse. It doesn't say second Adam. If it said second Adam, then there could be a third Adam, and a fourth Adam, and a fifth Adam. No, the scripture is very clear. The Holy Spirit wrote to the pen of Paul, the last Adam. The last Adam, not the second Adam. In the Greek, it says the last Adam. So the last Adam, Christ, who is the Lord above, Paul says, came. To begin a new creation, a new race of people that are not from below, but from above. A people that are neither Jew nor Gentile. A people that are not identified according to the flesh, for we know no man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. For if we know that if one died for all, then all died. We don't look at any man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. All died. All perished at the cross. But those who believe are recreated by this awesome miracle. This is the truth that sets you free. You literally, as John says, as Jesus is, you are also now in this world. Not when you die and go to heaven. This is the truth that if you focus on this, if you say, Lord, open my eyes to see this. Give me understanding of this reality that I really am a son or daughter of the living God. Reveal the awesome miracle of spiritual circumcision whereby you cut away the body of the flesh so I could be created new on the inside so that sin would never touch me, so that sin would remain in the members of my body, but I would not be in the body or in the flesh. I'd be in the body, but not in the flesh, not joined to the flesh anymore, but in the spirit, a new creation. As the body gets old and, and dies, the new man within me is constantly being renewed because of the reality of the spirit of righteousness that I have in Christ. This is the truth that sets us free. Where sin is no longer counted against you. As a believer, when you stumble and fall, it's not counted against you. When we learn from our mistakes and just try to learn to live by Him, when we open our eyes to see Papa, Abba, we cry Abba, and He teaches us how to live by Him and depend on Him and be with Him and behold Him in our inner man. All these things that are the heritage of the saints of God. The truth shall set you free. It makes you know how much clear access you have to God, your dad. You can come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. It makes you aware that he's always with you, even until the end of the world. It is all these things that come from his awesome work where he plunged the whole world into death, where he drank the cup of the Father's wrath. The only thing he feared, the only thing Jesus feared on earth was the cup of his Father's wrath. That's the only thing he feared, the scripture says. He prayed that that cup would be taken away if, if, if possible. But he trusted his father. He loved his father. And he loved you and I. He said, not my will, but your will be done, father. And he drank the cup of the, of the wrath of God for all of us. That's why that billboard on I-4 is exactly correct. God is not angry. He was. But all his anger 
fell on his son. That's why he's called the propitiation for all sin. Propitiation means not only payment, but all anger has been removed. Not just payment, but all anger has been removed. Propitiation is mentioned three or four times in the the writings of the apostles. It's a complete removal of anger. For God says, I judge no man. I give all judgment to my son. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. The Father judges no man. And then Jesus said, and neither do I judge any man. For I have come not to judge. He stopped in the middle of the sentence in Isaiah when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the grace of God, the favor of God. And he stopped in the middle of a sentence, which is unheard of. He's quoting scripture and he stops in the middle of a sentence because the next part of the sentence is, and the vengeance of God. He stopped because he had not come for the vengeance of God. He had come for the reconciliation of man. For God did not come to send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There will become a day of vengeance when he comes again. The scripture says when he comes again and he sits on the right hand of God till his enemies be made as a footstool for his feet. He has enemies. Christ has enemies. And in that day, he'll be seen in glory in the heavens. And those who have believed will be admired, will admire him and worship him. But those who have not obeyed the gospel of God and the obeying of the gospel, as we said one Sunday, is just simply believing. Because the gospel calls men to believe, not to do. For those who do not believe, he shall come with flaming fire, the scripture says, with vengeance against those who have rejected the Son. Can you imagine the Father, the Father, allowing this wrath to fall on the earth? The scripture says in, in Revelation that they will cry for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the, la- from the wrath of the Lamb. The only time in scripture that those two words are in the same sentence, the wrath of the Lamb. They will cry for the rocks to cover them because they did not receive the love of the truth. And, and they're in their sins. And sin must be judged. And if they reject God's Son who suffered and took on himself the wrath of God. There is no other way. It's the only unpardonable sin in the world that is left. The only unpardonable sin is the rejection of the Son of God, for he took away all the sin. The only sin that remains, which is why the Scripture says, the Spirit shall convict the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. Not because they're doing some sinful, fleshly thing. No, that's all been cleansed. The one sin that remains is that they believe not on Jesus. So this truth... That we have to share with the world is awesome. We have, it's been committed to us, the word of reconciliation, not the word of judgment. The word of reconciliation has been committed to us. Our authority on the earth is to forgive sins in his name. We also have authority to tell them, Jesus said, if they don't believe in me, you have the authority to tell them that their sins shall not be forgiven. That's what he was saying when he commissioned the apostles. You can tell them with authority from heaven that if they will believe on me, their sins are all forgiven. But you can also tell them if they don't believe on me, their sins will not be forgiven. But our commission is to bring reconciliation. We beseech them. Christ in us beseeches the world, be reconciled to God, because God has already reconciled himself to the world. But the essence of this this truth is so mind-blowing. Words cannot convey it. Words can only, only plant seeds. Like that Supreme Justice said that time, he said, the words are merely the skins of ideas. Words are the skins of ideas. And all I can do up here by the Spirit of God is bring the skins of ideas by the Spirit to your spirit. Seeds. But the real revelation, the awakening within each one of us must come individually and personally. Will we eat of Christ and feed on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, targeting this focus 
where the fish are, that God might open it up and not be distracted as the enemy tried to distract the Corinthians to other good things, but not the truth. True things, but not the truth that sets you free. For all things shall be added to us as we enter into this awesome rest and identity of who we really are, who God really is, and who we really are. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. To know this love, that he is with you. He is with you. He is with you. He is in you. You are in him. You are perfect. You are blameless. You are holy. Nothing you do will change what he did because you believe. Allow the mind to be renewed to this awesome reality. The Holy Spirit will show you things I could not tell you before he came, he said. But you can see this now by the Spirit. You can receive this awesome truth that you really did die. You did die. Romans 6, all about this awesome truth. He terminated the human race. Know you not, Paul says, you have already died. That's why funerals are not really talking about the death of the person. When we went to the funeral with Tiffany and Sam, they died a long time ago. They passed from death into life a long time ago when they first believed on Jesus. Just the body died. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? You see? This is the truth that sets us free. We live by faith now in these bodies. If we don't live in the joy of this, and that's what the Spirit told me on the way over here. The Lord reminded me, this truth leads to joy, unspeakable and full of glory, because it is really over. It was over when you first believed because of his death. I was crucified with Christ. It's not just a nice religious slogan. I was crucified with Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can bring this so real to us that I really died. See yourself in the newspaper under the obituaries. See your name in the obituaries. Read. Bill Gray died today. He was a good man. And yet he lives because he died through Christ. A new man, a new creation. As Jesus is, so is he now in the world. And so are you. This is the truth that sets us free. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's awesome. Lord, thank you so much for the reality of the truth that you came to bring. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Amen.